Praise God. I'm so excited because of the word that the Lord has given to us. It's a word of action. It's a word of transformation. And that's what God wants to do. And I want to speak this morning about the light of truth. He said he's going to bring a fire. That fire brings light. It burns away what is old. It burns away the dross and that which is of no value. And it brings light. And how many of you know that we need light to see in this dark world? We need light to see in the darkness. And so let's ask the Lord to bring that light. Father, would you bring great light? Jesus is the light. He is the way. He is the truth. He is our life. And we thank you for the light of truth that will illuminate all aspects of our being to the deep recesses of our soul, Lord Jesus. Bring light now and revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. In my life, I don't know where I'd be today if I didn't have the light of truth. Uh, I would be a broken man. I would be an addicted man. I don't think I'd even be standing here and alive. But God's broken into my life on so many opportunities, so many occasions that he took into my heart and dispelled lies and dispelled brokenness and dispelled darkness and fear. And he brought truth And when that truth comes in, it is alive, it is active, it's like a two-edged sword. It cuts and divides from the soul and the spirit and brings revelation knowledge of who we are in Christ, what I am and what I need to become, and what the enemy's been telling me is lies and what is true. And I've been preaching that for a number of years, and it's what I love to do in counseling and to speak into people's lives and And it's not me, it's what I bring to the word of God to people's hearts that when they hear the word and when they hear the spirit confirm it and speak into their soul, I love to see that look on their face when they get it. When a revelation comes and they realize they had been duped, they'd been lied to by the enemy, they realize that they had a wrong understanding of things and truth shatters that and brings revelation. I just love that. That's what we're here to do, and what I want to share with you is one of my favorite verses, Psalm 119, verse 130. The entrance of your word brings light. That's the King James Version. It's the simplest. The entrance of your word, different translations say the unfolding of your word or the revelation of your word brings light, and it's true. We would be in such darkness if we didn't have this word. The Word of God come alive. How many of you remember when you used to read this thing, it didn't make much sense. It was like a history book. It was dry like crackers. Till the Holy Spirit began to illuminate it. How many of you have had a, a verse just captivate you, just come alive and it speaks into your soul and it begins to speak into the dimensions of what you know and who you are. The entrance of your Word, the the dispatch of your word the unfolding and revelation power of your word it brings light and where light comes darkness has to flee this is the story of my life from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory paul says in corinthians that ever-increasing glory glory is an illuminating light of god and i consider where i have come from where i've been i was a broken person 
in the depths of despair and in depression and anxiety through life, in confusion and in fear, but from glory to glory with an ever-increasing revelation of who he is, the more he reveals himself, the more I'm revealed as to who I'm becoming. And so there's nothing more powerful than the revelation of God's word, the light of his truth. Gives understanding to the simple. But what truth am I talking about? How many of you know that when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate said, Are you a king? Are you the Messiah? He says, You speak the truth. He goes, Ah, what's what is truth? Dude, you just said it to the one who is. He's the truth, he's the Messiah, he's the light. And so Pilate asks that question, and everybody's asking that question, what is truth? And what I'm talking about today, the entrance of your word brings light, this truth, this revelation. It's, it's more than a, a transcendent truth. Yes, uh, to have knowledge of God and the reason for the universe and the reason for life, to have this transcendent truth is illuminating and it's revelatory, yes, but I'm talking about more than that. And I'm talking about more than the truth of doctrine, that God is Trinity and, and three persons in one God and that Jesus is the Messiah and that he filled this many prophecies at these sequences of times. How wonderful and amazing. It is. But I'm talking about truth that literally confronts you and begins to conform you and comes into your life and as Pilate was standing face to face with truth I'm talking about a face to face relationship with Jesus that the light of this truth is coming into your soul and it's touching the dimensions of your understanding of life and reason with God it's not just transcendent truth it's intimate truth Truth is not just some philosophy, some standard, or an ideal. It is a person. And the truth of God is embodied in Christ Jesus who wants to relate to you, who wants to speak to you, who wants to reveal who you are in Him. That's the truth I'm talking about. It needs to be experiential. This isn't a club we sign up for. You have to come face to face with this truth. And that's the reason you got saved. Because this truth showed you that you were condemned to hell. A sinner, completely lost. Nobody likes that truth. But where would we be without the realization that that is the truth? I'm a sinner. But the truth is God loved me so much he sent his son. And the truth is he invaded my life and interrupted my activities to show me that I was going down a wrong path. This is truth that's confrontational and it merges into my being. That's what truth I'm talking about. And it brings light into the recesses of our minds and our hearts. Truth is a relationship with truth itself. Let me share with you an example in 2 Timothy 2.15. How many of you know this verse? Study to show yourself approved. A workman rightly dividing the word of God, right? The problem with that reference in the King James is it's not the best translation. The King James says study to show yourself approved. And so what we do is we study the word of God and, and we, and we uh, learn the material. How many of you did that at school for tests? You didn't know it. You learned the material for the night before. 
Anybody do that, right? Two weeks later, if we asked you a question on the test, you'd go, I don't know. know. It didn't become a part of you. The problem with this translation study to show yourself approved of God is, is that it's a cognitive reasoning but I want to take you deeper into where truth permeates you. The, the best translation of 2 Timothy 2.15 is present yourself to God. There's a little bit of a difference there, isn't it? To study versus to present. Now, the, 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 the meaning is that you go deep in the Word, study the Word of God, learn it. But the concept is for us to present ourselves before God so that this truth would penetrate That's why we spend a half hour to 45 minutes in worship so that the light of revelation would come as you bear your worship to God. You bear your soul to God and you say, oh God, we love you, we worship you. It begins to open up your heart so that the word can come in and be real in you and truth could now begin to speak into your soul and remind you of some of the things you said yesterday, some of the things you did yesterday, some of the things you did a week ago that need to be cleaned before a holy God. It's a truth that interacts. So when you present yourself to God, truth can penetrate you. Now that should happen when you study too. I'm not trying to say one's worse or wrong, but the concept is if we're continually presenting ourselves to God. I know people who study theology. I know people who read their Bible and do their daily devotions. But as far as being interactive with the presence of Jesus Christ, it ain't there because it's all just here. There's an 18-inch difference between your brain and your identity in Christ. And so to present yourself to God means I'm going to lay myself before the truth of God and it will speak into my soul. And that's what's happening to you and I. We're gathered here this morning for a supernatural event that the spirit of truth is penetrating our souls right now. It's dinging off. It's, it's dinging and beeping in everybody here. If we all had little beepers on, it'd be cool, you know, but while I'm preaching, a little light would go, ping, bang, boom, ping, bang, boom, bang. People are going, yeah, yeah, I get it. And we'd all celebrate when there'd be one in the back that finally went, <laughs> you got it. But that's the revelation of God's word. When you hear it, it brings light. We hear it over and over in Scripture, the light of truth. Psalm 119, 105, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. What does that mean? Well, when you're walking in the dark, you need some light. I I was always afraid of the dark. Anybody here afraid of the dark? I was. Especially the dark of my basement. How many of you grow up? Remember, anybody here grow up? Okay, how many of you grew up and, and do you remember the basement? It's like every evil thing on earth lived in your basement. And why is it when your parents went out, it all became active? Do you hear that? Scary stuff. Well, you need light, right? You go to sleep in your bed, you put the covers over your head, made everything safe. How did this sheet make you safe from the Godzilla under your bed? Made no sense at all. But just turn a light on. 
It dissipates the shadows. It, it, it orientates you to realize, oh, that's nothing, that's that. That's this, that's that. You begin to see. I need a light to my path. In a dark world, I need a light. I need to know how to walk without stumbling and falling and tripping. I need to know where my obstacles are, especially in me. I need a searchlight in me because I'm messed up. See, you came to hear some guy who really got his act together. <laughs> and I'm not that guy. We're in this process together, amen? amen? I get hurt, I get wounded, you do too. We need light to find our way through this thing. And that's the value of the word of God. If, I don't need to point you to me. Oh, God, no. I need to point you to the truth, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? amen. Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of your word brings light. This light transforms us. This light reveals to us the reality of life. And so it starts with this truth coming in, transforming our minds. Because our minds need to be renewed. The minute you got saved, you were birthed by God's Spirit and you became a new creation. And you're born of Christ and now your spirit man is made alive and now you can hear from God, you can speak to God and, and you're a child of the Lord. But something also needs to take place and that's the renewal of your mind. People say, well, just like, why didn't God, as soon as you were saved, why didn't he just like transform your mind? Because you'd be a zombie. It'd be like a lobotomy. Because everything we know, we learned and, and, and we, we figured out on our own. And if God were to just take all the wrong thinking out, what would we have left? So he has to renew it. And as he's renewing our mind, he does this by bringing revelation and light into our being. Uh, how many of you grew up in a dysfunctional phone, phone home? Phones make a dysfunctional home. All right, you're all lying. How many of you grew up in a dysfunctional home? You all did. Yes. Oh, well, my mother was great. Well, she wasn't. She did the best she could. No, you don't know my mom. No, really, come on. We all grew up in dysfunctional homes because we as people are all dysfunctional. Right? Can I get an amen on that? Because if you can't handle that truth, I don't know where we're going to go with this thing. So your concept of love, your concept of a husband and a wife, your concept of, of reality, your concept of what is right, what is wrong, your, all these concepts you developed through observation and experience. And so in all of that, we put together our scheme and our understanding of life, but more importantly, where we fit in it. And so we've got people who are narcissistic who think that all life is about them and they need their mind renewed. And we've got people who are so busted and broken up thinking they're the worst thing that ever happened. Everybody else got blessed except them, right? I mean, in all the spectrum in between. And we need help with this. And so what I want to share with you this morning is just some of the psychology of what happens in our being and in our brain. Our heart belief always overrides our intellectual belief. What I feel overrides what I know to be true or what I think to be true. Has anybody ever been, had an idea that you thought was true and then you got revelation and found out this wasn't true? Right? 
It's kind of funny because um, some families I know that, that celebrate their heritage did the DNA testing and, <laughs> and they, there's a commercial like that, right? Guy, guy thought he was German all his life wearing lederhosen. He did the DNA test. He finds out he's something else. It happens all the time with the word of God. It comes in and you thought you were this. It's like, no, I'm not. But what we do with our history and with our emotions is, is our heart belief will override intellectual belief. Some of you have been through trauma. Some of you take on that trauma to believe that it was you, that it was your f- fault. How many of you know people who come out of abused homes, people, even children, where's Kent Darcy here? He, he could give a whole uh, lecture on this. Children of divorced parents so often carry that sense that it was their fault, that they did this thing. And that, that's what they feel because it busted apart when they were a kid and they don't know how to translate that. It must have been me. That's a lie. But that's what it feels like. And intellectually, you may know this. And many of you realize, intellectually, I realize, no, it wasn't my fault. But your emotions say, I think it is. My marriage fell apart because of this or that or relationship, whatever. And it takes over. We believe what we feel. Therefore, our emotions expose what we believe. And so many of us are messed up because of our emotional track in figuring out what happened in our past. We develop a mindset. So I just want to give you a little illustration in that our memories are like little containers. I'm using brown paper bags for today. Our memories, each memory is, is like a container. We, we hold on to our memories, don't we? But the container that we hold them in is the emotion by which and, and, and the understanding by which we experienced that event. There was a true historical event we went through, but how we perceive it and how we document it and how we store that event is based on our emotions and our understanding. That's why the enemy wants to do as much damage as he can when you're young. Because if he can distort your understanding of who you are at a young age, he can keep you going down a wrong path. He can do damage that continues to be then reiterated over and over. We store our memories in containers, our emotional memories. We record them and seal them as experiential truths. So on a particular memory, in memory it may be happy and, and we got an attaboy and it was a good job and that was, a, I remember that, that was a great summer. I remember it was a good summer. Everything went well and it was good and you remember good. You ever have that experience? And so a nice spring day wafts in and it reminds you of when you were 10 sitting on the driveway getting your shoes on to go out and play. It was a great day. It's related to your emotions. How many of you remember a particular memory? There's fear and sorrow and you felt stupid because of the event. And that's how you recorded that event. Although you were six years old, you recorded it that way because that's how you perceived it. That's how you remembered it. Uh, You don't remember the whole thing. My wife and I laugh about this because we talk to our kids about memories in childhood. I got four different memories of one event. Because they were different ages and they were feeling different things. And we come home after the, discussing it and we go, it never went like that at all. But this is how you and I record everything, isn't it? 
And then we identify ourselves in it. And then we seal it. We record its history. And this becomes our identity. This becomes who we are as experiential. Oh no, it's real because I experienced it this way. Just because you experience something doesn't mean you understand the full ramifications of what happened and why. This happens often in life. So then we get re-triggered, don't we? We seal it as an experience and say, this is true, this is true, this is true. And so we live out of this. And then some of us have to self-medicate because of it. Because we recognize, yeah, we're bad, we're stupid, I'm embarrassed, I have pain. And so we medicate over those memories, we medicate over our identity, we feel like such losers. So then what happens is it gets reinforced by another incident, reinforced, reinforced, until what we have is a series of events that we've, in our memory, put together that continue to evaluate who we are, what we've done. And it's usually a real bag and collection of a mess. Now, thank God some of us, have you've had uh, great families to grow up in, even though they're dysfunctional. But you live long enough and you're going to have tragedy and trauma, aren't you? And, and you have to deal with it. You have to contend with it. How can we break these, these things? Now, again, the enemy wants to come in and he wants to deceive And this is the best place for him to plant lies about who you are. So if he can plant a lie, again, some kind of trauma, it's easy in life to have trauma. But if the enemy can come in and plant a lie during a situation so that you record the thing as your fault, you record the thing as as it's me, I'm no good, I'm bad, I'm a loser. I'm ugly. And then it gets reinforced again next year. Then it gets reinforced again in another situation. Have you ever been in situations where you react, overly react to something in a negative way? And everybody's going like, what's the problem? It's cheesecake. But that cheesecake has to do with the problem that, that uh, it just doesn't taste as good as it was before and you tried to do something else with you. You know, it can take it back and it echoes through these other memories and it triggers. We all have triggers. And you and I, the only way to break the lies that we have accumulated about ourselves is to have light come in and break the darkness. Truth breaks every lie. I can sit here and I can tell you that uh, when an event happened when you were 10 years old, it wasn't your fault. You were just a 10-year-old. And you'll go, yeah, you're right. 10-year-olds don't, that's, you're right. That, that didn't, I shouldn't own that. And you think that here. But it doesn't get here. Because of the experience, you still labeled it and feel it and know it as this thing. That's why we need a word from Jesus. We need a revelation from Christ who can speak into our identity. It's so, so important. Truth cannot change our history, though. This is so important. I'm not talking. Triggers are created, as I've said, but listen, when Christ comes in, he doesn't erase your memory. 
It doesn't take away the event. You can't change what's been in the past. That's one thing for sure. So the trauma was still trauma. You know, some people are trying to do inner healing and this and that, and, well, just think of going through the trauma with Jesus there. Really doesn't help. If he was there, and he was, why didn't he stop it? Now it'll just repeat back because I'm such a loser and he doesn't care. Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud. Been there, done that. No, he can't change the past. Christ can't change the past. And this world is full of, again, trials and pain and trouble. So when we get our healing and revelation, he's not changing what happened. But he is speaking to who you are. Because our trials, our disciplines, our troubles they, we, that we go through, they shape us. But they don't have to negatively shape us. They can shape us And Christ can speak into that so that we can have victory over it. And so, truth can't change our history, but it can change our identity. I'm going to say that again, because you need to write that on a paper bag somewhere. (laughs) Truth can't change our history, but it can change our identity. And that's everything. That's everything. Who are you through all of this? Many of you. That's what the church is. The church is a group of wounded, broken people who've been healed from all of their wounds and brokenness so that they can touch a world that's broken. And we continue to get healed. It's an ongoing, life-enduring patience that revelation brings to us. That's what God wants to do. And so what we need to do, folks, is we need to figure out our lie-based thinking. I'm not here today to talk to you about your memories. I'm not here to talk about your emotions. I'm here to talk about the truth of your identity. That's what we're getting at. Don't get this thing into the world of psychology because psychologists will take you back to the event. Well, you hate your mother or you hate your father because of this event and that happened. There you go. 100 bucks. Okay, but what am I supposed to do with that? Oh, just learn to live with it. No. We can find our way back to wherever the trauma is, whatever the problem is, but how we wrote about ourselves, what we've felt about it can be healed through the revelation of God's word and who God identifies you as. You are not a loser. You are not stupid. You are my beloved. You're my child. And I esteem you and I'm healing and I'm bringing you out of this. And what you endured, you're going to be healed and you can speak to others who are going through it. I've been there and done that. To where there's no uneasiness anymore about it. There's no stirring anymore because there's such healing from it. The things that devastate our lives and absolutely destroy us. A word from God brings such healing. And you walk out of the rubble of that thing saying, oh God, thank you that I've survived and I've come through And your light is a path to my feet. 
Truth is more important than your feelings. It calibrates your feelings. Memories help us understand how we came to believe and what we believe and why we feel what we feel. These triggers are set off. But you can't move forward until you disarm the triggers and the lies. So we've got to discover what lies we are operating under. And that only comes through the internal search of the Word of God's light that comes in. Revelation comes and speaks to you. I remember ministering to this, this uh, young woman who, who was so struggling uh, with herself. And she made an inner vow with herself because of her strange relationship with her mother. It was so troubling and such a problem. She said to herself, I never want to be my mother. And so because of trauma and hurt and pain, she said, I never want to be like my mother. And I knew immediately that's such a lie. Because guess what? You look like your mother, you talk like your mother, and you carry the traits of your mother, whether you like it or not. So if you put this vow in yourself that I hate the relationship with my mother, so I will never be like my mother, every time you look in the mirror, guess what? But I could say that to her, but she won't get it. Because up here, it's got to go here. We began to pray. We began to seek. I asked, are there any traits about your mother that had value? Oh, yeah. She was this. She was this. She was this. I said, do you look like your mother? Yes. (laughs) Any of those traits you're interested in? could we extract and take away the law you put under your soul that you would not allow yourself to be like your mother? What is it about your mother you don't like? And then she listed those things. Could we then say you don't want to inherit the sinful aspects, but that there is value in her that are good that you could inherit? It flipped everything. It changed everything. And she renounced the old curse she put herself under and said, I don't want to inherit the sin, but I will inherit my mother's beauty. I will inherit my mother's creativity. I will inherit all that is good that you gave my mother. I'll take it, Jesus. And all of a sudden, her life shifted and her heart opened up and she could be herself. It was an instant transformation. That's what I'm talking about, these lie-based thinking. Let me give you a classic example in Scripture, okay? And I'll finish up. And we'll let Jesus minister to us. Peter was quite a strong personality. How many of you remember that? Sitting around the Last Supper, Jesus says, you're going to betray me. Peter says, not me. I ain't going to betray you. I'll stay with you always. I will never betray you. Like the rest of these rascals, not me. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Huh? You know, he's not going to get that. He don't get that. Because in his heart, I ain't going to betray him. He goes, by the time the rooster crows the third hour, the third time, you will have betrayed me. So Peter stays close to Jesus. Jesus is arrested. You know the story. Jesus is in the courtyard. Peter's out here. Someone says, hey, aren't you with that guy? Nope, don't know him. 
draws closer, sitting around. Someone says, hey, aren't you a disciple of him? No, I'm not, I'm not. Now, I think in Peter's mind, Peter wants to stay close to Jesus. He doesn't want to separate from him. So he's hanging with the crowd, but he's got to deny him to stay close to him. So in his best efforts, he's trying to do what he said he'd do the whole time, denying him. Then it says, interestingly enough, in the book of Luke, look it up yourself, it says, and why this point, it says that they were all standing around a charcoal fire. And Peter was there, and a little handmaiden said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples or whatever? And in Peter, it says, cusses and swears that he is not a disciple of Jesus. And cock-a-doodle-doo, the, the, uh, the rooster crows. And what happens to Peter in that moment? How many of you know that feeling? Oh, it's the worst. Your ears burn red and you're flushed and your heart just sinks and you recognize how you failed miserably. The regret, the remorse. It says Peter ran out and wept bitterly. Bitterly. So I have to ask myself, is this the sifting? Peter is weeping bitterly for what happened. Could you imagine what you would feel? What, what would you feel in that instance if you recognized, not only did I deny him three times, I just cussed my mouth off. Profanity saying I don't even know him. And, and it says in Luke that as he said it, Jesus turned to see him. How would you like that eye-to-eye contact? I would have to believe that I just recognized I have denied my Lord, the Messiah whom I called the Son of God, that Father revealed to me this is Messiah. I just denied him. I just, in all my bravado, said I never would, and I'm the guy who publicly did. I'm such a loser. I'm such a piece of trash. I'm so useless for all that he had poured into me for three years. And now he's going to a cross and they're going to kill him. And the last memory he has of me is I denied him. My gosh. I'm just wrecked. Ruined. So how are you going to remember that occasion? I'm useless, I'm no good to the kingdom of God. Is that true about Peter? Is Peter useless and of no value to the kingdom of God? No. So what makes you think you are? Why are you so useless and of no value to the kingdom of God? Because of something you did in the past, huh? That's not who you are in Christ. We all mess it up. But thank God he sees us for who we are becoming. And he'll call us out of that. So we fast forward. Jesus appears to the apostles in the upper room. Oh my gosh, he's resurrected. He's alive. This is awesome. Peter sees it. It says he appears another time. 
And then in John, it tells us he appears a third time. But where are the boys? Peter says, after he's seen Christ twice, he says, I'm going fishing. Why? This is what I believe was the time of sifting. When you're trying to deal with who you are and who he is, you're just being sifted. Your past, your sins, your failures, your brokenness, it sifts. It just begins to trash us. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you. Now, interestingly enough, they're out fishing. It's a comical situation because they have in the boat Thomas, who didn't believe that they saw a risen Jesus till a week later. You want that guy in your boat? It's wet in here. It smells like fish. We'll never get back to shore. He had Nathaniel, who was a nobleman, right? Dressing good, designer hair, nice shoes. Don't get water on my boots. <laughs> what are they all doing in a fishing boat? They're following Peter, who's still the leader, but he's a broken man. Until they fished all night, didn't get anything, and Jesus is on the seashore, and Jesus says, hey boys, you catch anything? Peter's fishing, grumbling, feeling miserable because he is miserable. His identity is miserable, right? Any of you walk around like that? And he recognizes it's Jesus. Says the heck with this. Dives in the water, runs to shore, and it says that there are fish on a charcoal fire. Why? Why this detail? about a charcoal fire because Jesus sets the scene to take Peter to the place of his memory, of his worst nightmare. Sometimes Jesus has to take you into the place of your worst nightmare. He's got to help you understand you got it wrong. You need revelation as to why you're acting the way you are. Here, so Peter walks into this situation. He sees fish and he smells the charcoal fire. Now, I would imagine that would ignite a memory. How many of you ever had a memory based on a scent? Takes you right there. Denied him three times. What did Jesus say to Peter? Three times Peter asks him, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? You have to understand the Greek in this. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, I filio you. The highest order of love is agape. It's a self-sacrificing love. Jesus says, Peter, do you self-sacrificially love me? And Peter says, I love you like a brother. Why couldn't Peter say that he loved Jesus with his whole life and heart? Why couldn't he say it? Because he denied him already. He couldn't own it. He's already ashamed of it. He can't answer that question. And how many of you can't answer the questions of God and your devotion to God because you're so broken, you feel unworthy to even say, I can. Jesus is going to fix this thing. Jesus then asks him a second time, do you agape me? He goes, oh, you, you know I feel you owe you. And then Jesus lowers his love and he says, do you feel you owe me? Do you love me like a brother? Peter in frustration says, Lord, you know all things. 
I re- the reason he said he can't even, I don't know what I know. And here's where the revelation comes in. He says, Peter, you do. And when you are old, you will not even be able to clothe yourself. And when you give your life for me, this and that, Jesus begins to prophetically speak into his destiny, begins to prophetically speak into what he's becoming for him. The very first question he asks is, do you love me more than these? These what? These other guys? No, Jesus wouldn't pit him with any. The fish. You love me more than fishing because you went back to fishing. How many of you are going back to fishing? Fishing for an idea of who you are. Fishing for what you should be. Fishing for if you have any value. Stop fishing and let the word of God tell you who you are. You're his beloved. You, he died for you. He has a hope for you. He has a future for you. Yeah, you screwed up. Yeah, you think you're this. He doesn't say that. He says you're the apple of my eye. You are everything that I have died for. I'm giving you a hope and a future. You are going to be something because with me in you, you can have success in life. What that means is you will learn to love. You will learn to honor me and you will change cherish every day you live. Peter was instantly healed that moment because Jesus spoke into his memories, into his identity, took out the lie. He was sifted. The enemy was sifting him to stay condemned. Jesus did not condemn him, but in fact lifted him up. That's what he wants to do with you and I. And the only way that you and I can find this is through the Word and Spirit. We only can find healing through studying the Word of God and presenting ourselves before the Holy Spirit. Prayer and Word are the only things. The Spirit wants to speak to you. There are times He wants to take you into memory. He wants to take you into your history. He wants you to read the wall of everything you've written about yourself. And He wants to come with the blood and cover it and say, that's not who you are. This is who you are. And there is an inheritance for you. This is what you and I need. And if we avoid studying the Word, if we stay out of prayer, you're going to continually be sifted by an enemy. I've prayed for you. Meet me in prayer. This is where I found my healing. So many times in a worship service, I'll be worshiping the Lord and I'm not even thinking of a situation and and the Spirit of God will just put a searchlight on my heart and show me my wrong thinking and show me the right thinking and it's like, oh my gosh, sets me free. I've had experience after experience. That's the truth I'm talking about. It's more than a Bible study. It reconstructs your being. And if you haven't had that, please, I invite you into prayer and word. Word and spirit. Open your heart. Present yourself to God in your studies. And he's going to begin healing your heart. And he's going to begin mending you. And he is going to be speaking of your future. There are so many things yet to be done in your life that God has opened up for you to become. Would you accept that today? Would you say, I have a destiny? And Jesus is my healer. Stand with me then this morning and let's thank God for that. Jesus. 
Father God, I pray and I thank You for the ministry of Your Holy Spirit here. Fall so fresh on us. You spoke this morning and said that You're lighting a fire that's going to bring us to a new glory. It's a light. You're bringing a light that's going to illuminate a new level in our lives. Everyone in this room has healing and deliverance from the Lord this morning to come into a new place of being and identity. Oh my gosh, God has so many good and wonderful things for you. Father, would you begin to release them? I pray right now that you would mend. And I speak against the demonic forces that have been sifting us and trashing us with our belief about ourselves. And Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you begin to identify those things and extract them out and speak into our destiny right now. Bring healing, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.